Welcome to Chapel of the Lake in Lake St. Louis, Missouri. The Chapel family is a multi-generational community of believers who gather weekly to worship and explore God's Word as we grow in our relationship with Jesus Christ. Join us now as Pastor Keith Spa opens the Scriptures. Well, good morning, Chapel family. I encourage you to take your Bibles and open, if you would, to the book of James. James chapter 4. Let's go to the Lord in prayer before we come to the Word. Father God, what a great blessing, what a great privilege to gather today, to have had a week this week, to have, for most of us, to have a little extra time off, some extra time with family, perhaps, or friends. And time to focus on gratitude, on thanksgiving. We are people who are blessed immeasurably. We have great blessings, material blessings, houses, lands, food, clothes. We have physical blessings of health and strength, family, friends. But above all, we are blessed spiritually. We have the blessing, the scripture says, of every spiritual blessing in Jesus Christ. Forgive us, Father, for often failing to give thanks as we ought. For often being ignorant of the sheer enormity of the blessings that we have. May our time this past week... Renew in us uh, desire and commitment to be more thankful people. People who are filled with gratitude every day for you and your love for us. We thank you again for the body of Christ as we mentioned earlier. And now we thank you for your word. We get the privilege in the, of, of coming and having your word in front of us having our own copies in our own language. Your word where we hear from you. Thank you for giving your word to us. And now, Father, as we come to this passage, may we be attentive. And may you speak to us through your word and use it to change us so that we leave today differently than we came. Make us more like Jesus, we pray. In his name we ask, amen. Well, the story is told of a pastor who, as pastors, are, as we are prone to do, we stand out in the, uh, after church and we greet folks as you, as you leave. The story is told of a pastor who was out there one, one Sunday and a, one of the little old widow lady came by and she said, oh, pastor, can I have a copy of your sermon notes? And he was a little taken aback and had blushed a little bit. And was, why, sure. Mammy gave her, you know, gave her a copy of his sermon notes. The next week she came and did the same thing. And the next week and the next week and the next week. And this went on for months and months. And, and finally the pastor just could contain himself no longer. And he said, you know, Ms. McGillicuddy, this, this, uh, I'm just you know, beside myself that you're asking for these notes every week. Are you, do you find them enjoyable? Do you find them helpful? And she said, oh, yes, pastor. 
These notes are wonderful. They are the perfect size for the bottom of my birdcage. <laughs> it's hard to be humble. We wrestle with that, and uh, even pastors struggle with pride. Here in James, we come to the end of James chapter 4, and we're completing a section where James has been focusing our attention on our need for humility, our need to be humble. We saw in verses 5 through 10 our need for humility toward, or before God. We saw last week in verses 11 and 12 our need for humility toward others. And today in verses 13 to 17, we're going to see our need for humility in our plans and our ambitions. We struggle with pride, don't we? It is, we, we've talked about it, it's, it's ingrained in us. We, it is part of the world system. Is, it's not humble. It is exactly the opposite. It is pride. It is pride which led to Satan's to the first sin, which was Satan rebelling against God. It is pride which ultimately has been behind all of our rebellion and sin against God. It is chapter 3 when James talks about the wisdom of this world. It is pride at the heart of that. So we find this challenging to us as James calls us to humility. It's going to go against the grain of our world and it's going to go against the grain of our own natural tendencies. Look in verse 13 as James calls us here to humility in our plans and ambitions. Come now, you who say today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. This is, it sounds so contemporary. This sounds like a conversation that we might overhear tomorrow when we go and sit at Starbucks or we go sit in Panera and we hear some business people talking and they say, again, I'm going to read it this time from the NIV because some of you use that translation. Today or tomorrow, we will go to this or that city, spend a year there and carry on business and make money. These people lay out an elaborate blueprint for their next year. We're coming up on the end of 2023, and, and it's time when many people are starting to look toward the next year. What are we going to do in 2024? They lay out, these guys lay out an elaborate blueprint. In their business plan, they declare their destination. They declare their departure time. They declare their length of stay. They declare the required activity, what we need to do. And they even declare profit. Here's the profits we're going to make. And you know, today, we might travel farther and do it faster in airplanes and cars and whatever. We, we may finish the job sooner with all the technologies we have and with superior technologies, we might do different things and we might do them on bigger scales. But still, this conversation he records 
sounds pretty much the same as doing business in the 21st century. Come, let's go to New York City and let's go there. Let's leave next week. We're going to spend this amount of time. Here's what we're going to do. Let's earn some money for the company, for us. This passage is not about prohibiting planning. It's not saying it's a bad thing to plan. This passage is not here denouncing having ambitions, desiring to accomplish something. Nor is it against making plans. Nor is it against profiting in business. None of those are the problem that James is addressing. We find the problem down in verse 16. Look down just a few verses. Verse 16. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. The problem here isn't plans. The problem here is not ambitions. The problem here, he says, is pride. It is arrogance and boasting related to our ambitions and our plans. Pride clouds our vision. It clouds our vision so that all we see, what we focus on, is ourselves. Pride distorts our perspective and it it perverts our thinking So much that even as those who profess faith in Jesus Christ, those who put our trust in Jesus Christ, we can find ourselves, because of pride, living as what I would call practical atheists. Not those who, not not professing atheists, not atheists in in our profession. We don't say, well, I don't believe in God. I I don't believe in Jesus. No, in fact, we profess and say we do. We believe in Jesus. We believe the word of God. But atheists in our practice, where we live and where we treat God as if he is irrelevant, as if God doesn't exist. That the way we live, the way we do business, the way we go to school, the way we relate to our neighbor, the way we relate with folks at home We do it as if God doesn't exist. At the heart of that really is pride. I want to back up just a little bit now to where we start. We're in verse 13 of this chapter 4 in James. Because here James outlines three major problems which occur when pride meets our ambitions and our plans. Again, back to 13. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Pride creates a delusion. Pride creates, and it creates a delusion about our ability. In this little verse, 13, there are in this quote, actually, from this conversation of business people that James refers to, there are four verbs, but only one subject. The subject is we. It's us. We will 
go. We will spend time. We will trade. We'll do business. We'll do this and this. We will make profit. Pride fails to recognize that we are totally dependent upon God. Pride believes, you see, that we are responsible for the the good things that we make happen with our wonderful resources and intellect and creativity. Pride believes that God has little to no role in what we accomplish. So God isn't in our plans because we don't need God. It's not only in the business world, it's not only in our day-to-day life. I see it, by the way, in Christian circles in churches today. There are so many resources out there for churches that are all about what we need to do. And if we do this, 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 and this, good things happen. That, my friends, is pride. Moses warned against this type of thinking back in Deuteronomy chapter 8. Deuteronomy 8, and it's God speaking through Moses. He says, speaking to the children, the people of Israel, you may say to yourself, and he says, this is going to happen, by the way. God predicted through Moses saying, this is going to happen when the people of Israel settle into the land of, of Israel, a land which God gave to them. And he says, you're going to get there. One day you're going to get wealthy and you're going to get comfortable. And then you may say to yourself, my power and the work and the strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me. He says the real great crime here is you're going to forget God. So instead of doing that, what you need to do is remember the Lord. When When those words start to come out of your mouth, remember the Lord. It is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth. And so confirms his covenant which he swore to your forefathers as it is today. God told the people of Israel, I promised you that I would bring you to this land. I promised you that I would provide for you and care for you. And I promised you that I would give you these things. But when you get them, you're going to go, look what we did. You're going to forget that it is God's strength. It is God's blessing. It is God's power. It is God's grace that has provided us with the opportunities, which has given to us the circumstances, which has given to us the brain power and the DNA and the material goods and the very breath in our lungs. All the physical capabilities by which we have accomplished Anything and everything in our life. We may think it's by our own efforts. But ultimately, all of our efforts, all of our resources, they all find their source in gifts as gifts from God. We only accomplish anything because God has gifted us. With life, breath, strength, intelligence, abilities, circumstances, resources. They're all gifts from God. 
The story is told of a flea. It's an old fable. A flea sat on the nose of an ox. One day the farmer took his ox off to his fields with the flea still sitting on the nose of the ox. There all day long the farmer and the ox worked together and tilled the fields and and plowed the fields so they were ready for planting. It was a long, arduous day of work and they, at the end of the day, trudged back through the little village on their way home. The flea still sat on the nose of the ox. The only difference is on the way back through the village, the flea began to proclaim loudly to anyone who they passed, to everyone they passed, and the flea said, We've been out in the fields plowing. See, so it is. We're the fleas. (laughs) It is God who has provided all that we have and all it allowed us and provided for us to accomplish whatever we've accomplished. There's no room for boasting before God. There's only room for gratitude. Which is why this past week has been so important for us to take time. All those great blessings we enjoy, we may have worked hard, but it is still God who has gifted them to us. Pride creates a delusion about our ability. But pride also brings another delusion. We find it in verse 14. It's a delusion about our viability. Look at verse 14. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Viability. Something is viable if it is able to live. The viability of something means is it, is it able to, is it able to live? And pride fails to recognize two key truths about life that this verse points out. The first is that life is uncertain. Notice he says that yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. James is paraphrasing from a proverb, Proverbs chapter 27, verse 1, that says this. Do not boast about tomorrow because you do not know what a day may bring forth. We are all so quick to count on tomorrow. We are all so quick to make our plans and say what we're going to do tomorrow, what tomorrow will bring. We look forward to tomorrow because we're going to, you know, fill in the blank. I love what Chuck Swindoll wrote about this. He said, man's knowledge seems impressive. Awesome. We can split atoms. We can build skyscrapers, transplant kidneys. We can program computers. We can explore and explain outer space. We can even unknot problems of ecology. But when it comes to tomorrow, our knowledge plunges to zero. We can speculate. We can dread. We can dream. But we cannot know. Exactly. That's what James is saying. No matter how much we learn, the wisest and most learned of us can only speculate about tomorrow. 
We can make no guarantees what will happen in the next few minutes, much less in the coming days. Who of us knows what will happen in the next 10 minutes? Hopefully the sermon pastor will finish, maybe. <laughs> Early, that would be nice. We can dream. <laughs> maybe there will be an earthquake. We all might die. Could happen. A tornado. They've happened in November. Not often. Wasn't on the weather, but they're wrong about a lot of stuff. What do they know? The building could collapse. It could. Probably won't, but who can make a guarantee? None of us. That's what James is saying. Man can accomplish great things, but he can neither know nor can he control the future. Life is uncertain. But there's another thing about life, he says here. Not only is it life uncertain, but life is brief. Again, second half of verse 14, he says that you are a mist. I'm not a coffee drinker, but some of you can't get through the morning without one. You get that coffee out there and that little mist that comes off your coffee just there for a minute and it's gone. He says, that's life. I don't drink coffee, but on a cold day I breathe. Going out to the car this morning. He says, that's life. It's there and poof, it's gone. He says, that's life. Life is short Life is uncertain and there is no certainty that we will be here tomorrow. In fact, what is certain is that one day we'll die. I love the old quote I read years ago and I've used it many times. Death is the ultimate statistic. One out of one people die. Until Jesus Christ returns, this is a certainty. One out of one people will die. You will die. I will die. It's not a question of if, it's a question of when. Death comes to old people. Death comes to the sick. But death also comes to the healthy and the young. It often comes unexpectedly. And it almost always comes too soon. I've shared before, many of you have heard, years ago, my mom, I was sitting with her uh, in the nursing home, and mom said, I'm going to die today. I'm going to die today. I always knew this day would come. I just didn't think it would come this soon. She didn't die that day, but she was 92. Anything 92, well, anybody could die at 92 on any day. Mom lived another four years. But at 92, Mom said, I didn't think it would come this soon. <laughs> really? <laughs> at 96, she probably would have said the same thing. She was just echoing the words of Moses. 
Moses, you know, God kept him strong, kept him vibrant, kept him vigorous till the day that he died at age 120. And yet, he writes in Psalm 90 that life is short. 120 years old. Strong, as it says, like a young man, like a 40-year-old, a 30-year-old. He's running around at 120. And when time comes at the end of his life, as he writes Psalm 90, he says, life is short. It is like, he says, the grass that springs up, the little tiny sprout of grass that springs up in the morning out in the, the desert, and by the afternoon it's dead. He says, life is like that. It's, it's, it's shorter than a day is what it feels like. If we live to 80 or 90 or 120, we go, wow, that was quick. I can't speak for 120, but I can speak for 67. What happened? Comes too soon. So Moses prays, teach us to number our days. Psalm 90. Teach us to number our days. In other words, teach us to to make our days count, to make our days matter because we don't have very many of them. Every day we have one less. We just don't know what the end number is. So help us to make this day count. And so James pictures here these businessmen who are, are telling about the next year and all they're going to do in the next year, very proudly declaring, here's what we're going to accomplish. And James' story calls to mind a story Jesus told. Luke chapter 12, Jesus tells a story. I'm not going to go there, but go back and read it maybe this afternoon. Jesus tells this story of this businessman, Luke chapter 12, verse 15. This man who was very successful, he just scored big. The crops came in and it was a record crop. He was now wealthy. What do I do with all this stuff? We've got so much stuff, there's no place to put it all. I got it. Going to build bigger barns. He builds bigger barns. And then he sits back and goes, yeah. Take life easy. Live in ease the rest of your days. You got it made. And that night he died. Jesus says the man was a fool. Not because he made money. Not because he had planted big and did well in his business. He was a fool because all he had thought about was getting bigger barns and living for retirement. (laughs) That never came. He planned for a long and a luxurious and a fun-filled retirement, but he never thought about eternity. (laughs) And retirement from those I talk to of you, it doesn't last that long. (laughs) But eternity is forever. And he never thought about that. And Jesus said, what a fool. Sadly, 
The reality is many of us are busy living life like that. We're focused on the here and now and about building bigger barns for all our stuff for tomorrow. But Jesus asks, are you ready for what really matters? Are you ready for eternity? Because none of us are guaranteed tomorrow in this life. Eternity may start for any one of us, for all of us, it may start tomorrow. Are we ready, Jesus asks? So Jesus, in Matthew chapter 6, recall, he urges us to lay up treasures in heaven. Don't lay up treasures on earth. Don't store up your treasures here where moth and rust corrupt and thieves break in and steal. But instead, store up your treasures in heaven where moth and rust don't corrupt, where thieves don't break in and steal. What are we doing to lay up treasures in heaven? Jesus asks. We do not have tomorrow. We only have today to prepare for eternity. Some people think, well, someday, you know. Someday I'll trust Jesus. Someday I'll follow Jesus. Right now, you know, I got all these other things I want to do. These things, I, I got my, my agenda. Someday, yeah, when I've done enough and lived enough, then I'll trust Jesus. I'll follow him. The Bible says, 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 2, today is the day of salvation. We don't have tomorrow. My friend, if you're here today and you've never, if you're watching online, if you've never trusted in Jesus as your Savior, this is the day to come to Him. This is the day to give your life to Him. Sadly, there are many who name the name of Jesus and profess Christ and they're still living for today. Someday I'll do this or that for Jesus. Someday I'll serve Him. Someday I'll tell my friend, my neighbor about Jesus. But James is reminding us here, we may not have someday. All we have for sure is right now, today. You know, some of us probably recently celebrated birthdays. Some of us may recently have gone to a funeral. Some of us may recently have been sick. All of those things are really wonderful opportunities to remember that life is brief and it's uncertain and to reevaluate and ask, am I ready? Am I ready for eternity? And also to ask, what am I doing with my now? Am I investing it in things that matter? Pride deludes us about our ability. Pride deludes us about our viability. Pride also deludes us about our accountability. Verse 15. Instead, instead of just declaring our plans, here's what I'm going to do. 
Here's what I'm going to do with my, with my time, with my life, with my fortune, with my, with my abilities. With these. Here's, here's my plans for life. I've got it all figured out. Here's what we're going to accomplish, and here's where we're going to end up. And, here's where, and then we're going to sit back, and we'll be able to play golf and, and, uh, and sit on the beach for the rest of our lives. James says, instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. When we get busy with our plans and our ambitions, we think only about what we want to do. See, by the way, this verse, often I've heard others and myself have used this verse this way. You know, we we say, well, what this verse is saying is don't be proud and, and just say, well, if the Lord wills, I'll go do this, I'll go do that, if... You know, if God allows it and he doesn't interrupt my plans, because sometimes God interrupts our plans. And that's true. But there's more here. Because, see, pride gets us focused on ourselves, so that all we think about is our plans. We think about what we want to do. We think about how we will spend our time. We think about how we will save our money or spend our money. And we think about our talents and our abilities and how we are going to use those for us. And we make our plans, but we fail to consider or even ask, what would God want me to do? What does God want me to do with my day? What does God want me to do with my stuff? What does God want me to do in this situation? That is, going back to where we began, that is practical atheism. To live as if God doesn't exist. Or to not care. The scriptures tell us we have an accountability to God. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19 and 20. For you are not your own, for you are bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. God bought us out of sin and death with the lifeblood of Jesus. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10 reminds us, we are His workmanship, God's workmanship in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. God created us. He saved us through Jesus. He did both of those for a purpose. The purpose is that he's created works for us to do. God made every one of us in this room, everyone watching online, he's made us unique for unique purposes. Before this world ever came to be, he says, beforehand, God designed you designed you uniquely for unique works that he's prepared for you to do so we can live in them. We can walk in those works, he says. God has the right to expect that from us. And that should be the attitude in our heart and the prayer of our lips. It's really what Jesus taught us to pray. You remember what we usually call the Lord's Prayer, the disciples' prayer, because Jesus was used it as an example to teach the disciples, this is how you should pray. You remember how it goes? The beginning of it. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You see, what these guys in their pride, they said, 
We will go and do this. We will go and do that. We will go here. We'll do this. We'll accomplish this. And that is what we tend to say. But James says, instead, we ought to say, if the Lord wills. What is it that the Lord wills for our life? Jesus said, this is how we should pray. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. Not mine. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. God, your will be done in my life. Pride says, God bless my plans. (laughs) Humility says, Lord, what plans do you have for me? It's a big difference, isn't there? If God is our creator, if he is our savior and Lord, then it should be all about his will and not ours. These are the delusions that pride creates in us. Delusions about our ability, delusions about our viability, delusions about our accountability. And it creates big problems. Again, we get back to the problem, verse 16. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. I found it convicting as I read that. As I studied it this week, I was reminded, he doesn't say, some of you wrestle with this problem. (laughs) He doesn't say, there's a few of you reading my letter who have got this issue. He says, as it is, you boast in your arrogance. Who in here is he talking to? Let me see your hand. (laughs) It's all of us. You see, we've, we've all got the disease, some of us maybe more than others, but we've all got the disease, we've all got the issue. It is that pride, that, and so this is something we all have to say, okay, now what do I do with this? Let me suggest a couple of corrective actions. If that's the problem, what's the cure? Well, I would say that first of all, probably the opposite of what this verse just says If the problem is we boast in our arrogance, when we make our plans, when we talk about our achievements, then what's the opposite? Be humble in our plans and our ambitions. Be humble in our achievements. Hold our plans loosely before God. Yes, to say, God, if you're going to interrupt my plans, if you want to change my plans, I'm good with that. Secondly, because, God, what I really desire is your plans. I'm going to pray what Jesus taught us to pray. Lord, your kingdom come, your will be done. Not mine, your will. Are we willing for God's will if it means that means that we're going to get sick? Are we willing for God's plans, for his will, if it means that we don't get that promotion or we don't get that job or we don't get rich? Are we willing for God's will for his plans if it means we suffer? Well, if we pray, your kingdom come, your will be done, that's what we ask for. Whatever it is, God, that brings you glory and whatever accomplishes your purpose, I'm on board with that. See, when I put it in those terms, I'm not sure I always am. Speaking honestly, it's that pride thing. I'll do most anything, God. (laughs) I wrestle with pride. 
because I have my agenda. Hmm. But okay, what do I need to do? We need to submit ourselves, say, God, your will be done. Be humble in our plans and ambitions. And when God does accomplish things that we, you know, in and through us, when he does bless us with things that we never expected, even when we work really hard to get it, what do we do? We give God glory in everything. Every good and perfect gift comes from above, coming down from the Father of lights, in whom there is no variableness nor shadow of turning. He says, be humble in our plans and ambitions. Secondly, go look at verse 17. It's our last verse. I'll end here. It's an unusual verse to read here. It says, so what, whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. So connects it to everything that just came. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, it is sin. He's saying that sin is not just doing what's wrong. Sin is failing to do what is right. Sin is when we know what is right to do but don't do it. That's equally sin as going out and doing what is wrong. Why is that here? Because the problem again is pride. It's on the flip side of the coin. When I know what's right, but I don't do it, that is pride. I'm refusing to do what I know God desires. So what are we to do about that? Well, how do we know what God desires for us to do? It's right here. Learn the book. Read the book. What we discover is that God's big will for our life really isn't about what career we undertake, what business endeavors we do. God's real concern, His will for our life, isn't necessarily that you choose to go to this school over that school. God's desire for our life has everything to do with our character. God's desire for our life has everything to do with how we respond to Him and how we respond to others. It has to do with our love, with our priorities. Along the way, so so we need to be intentional about studying and learning God's Word so that we can then be determined and be committed to do whatever it is God desires. Be faithful in our obedience. There it is. It's all I got. It's enough. That's a lot to chew on because, again, we've all got the disease. The question is, what are we going to do about it in this week ahead? Life is short. Life is surprising. Are we going to, in the days ahead, live life humbly serving God? Are we going to live life proudly and boldly going after our own agenda? One thing, by the way, and I'll just close with this. In neither case is God saying, or is this passage saying, sit around and do nothing. 
It's not about being lazy, as I said. It's not about not making plans. It's not about not having ambitions. It's about, is our desire to follow Jesus? Simply as that. Father, we confess there are times we get the priorities all jumbled up and we start following our own desires. We, we get focused on ourselves. That's the pride. And we get focused on what we want to do. We start doing our plans, our ambitions, our goals, and we get totally focused on those things. And they're not the things that matter. And we get rebellious or neglectful about following you. So, Father, may we humble our pride. May we put you first. Seek your kingdom. Seek your righteousness, as Jesus said in Matthew 6.33. May that be our first thought. Father, may you then work in and through us to accomplish what you desire. And it's going to shock us what you do in and through us. You'll accomplish things we never imagined. You will bless us with blessings we never thought we would have. And then, Lord, will we give you the grace and the, 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 the praise and the glory that you deserve. May we never fail to recount your blessings and goodness to us. Things we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. May God bless you as you grow in your walk with him this week.